0: Hello and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Brian Nitzel. 15 years ago, he came out as a gay man committed to his faith in Jesus. He founded the organization Making Things Right to invite and equip Christians to better love and serve the LGBTQ plus community. So Brian's here to talk about his personal life and all the great work he's doing. So thank you so much for being here, Brian. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Sarah. And it was fun. Before we hit play, we got to know each other a little better. So that was very fun. Um, so, yep, my name's Brian Nitzel. Thank you for having me. Um, Making Things Right, uh, that's a, a project Uh, that came out of another nonprofit um, that I can talk about later. Um, But essentially, it was kind of like how you described it. Um, I grew up in the church, in the evangelical church, to be uh, particular, and uh, not always had a great reputation for um, being inclusive and welcoming of LGBTQ plus individuals, Uh, and so I... You know, because of my own personal story, um, which I could share a little bit about, um, I felt really compelled to kind of keep one foot in the evangelical world and one foot in the LGBTQ plus world and and try to be a bridge and just, you know, try to create more productive conversations. You know, as we know, it's a pretty divisive conversation and not a whole lot gets, you know, accomplished when people are debating. So Making things right is sort of an invitation, if you will, for Christian folks to sort of re-examine what is the Christian response and responsibility to the LGBTQ plus community.
0: So, would you like to start kind of with a little bit about your personal story? You know, kind of yeah. making the choice to come out and identify as gay when you yep. ha- were in these divisive conversations.
1: Yep. Yeah. Totally um i so i it took me a while to figure it out (laughs) and there's a lot of stories like mine you know thankfully the younger generation seems to have this figured out a little better um so a little healthier or well and not always maybe in small towns that's not the case but generally speaking you have younger folks that that feel a little more freedom to explore you know uh uh, non-cis sexuality gender options right um uh, I'm of a different vintage, uh, and so back then, growing up in the '70s and the '80s in small town Indiana, uh, there wasn't the freedom to do so, right? So, if you came out as gay back then, you were super brave or super stupid or <laughs> some combination of the two, you know. Anyways, uh, so I um, I grew up in an evangelical church environment, and uh, and 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 mine was a really good experience. Um, which, you know, I, I recognize that I'm sort of in the minority, if you will. <laughs> if you ask most LGBTQ plus people about their experience with the church, they'll cringe, right? And there was a, a, a lot of uh, hurt and marginalization and confusion there for them. I thankfully had a good experience. Um, so, uh, you know, and I had a really close personal relationship with Jesus. You know, I identified as a Christian. But I wasn't really religious. I just thought Jesus was cool, you know. And like I, I had a and my mom like kind of modeled more of a humane, social justice uh, type of Christianity that was really compelling to me, right? And and it seemed like growing up, Jesus was cool with just about everything. But as soon as you know, good old puberty hit, and I recognized that I was a little more attracted to the boys than the girls i just i didn't i didn't feel like i could talk to god about that you know and in and, and hindsight that's probably you know i wasn't mature enough to think that i could and i certainly didn't have support and resources around me to to go there right so i spent most of my adult life really feeling like the best way to honor god with my sexuality was to not act on it you know and that i didn't do that because i thought i was going to go to hell i did that because i thought That i wanted to honor god you know and then later in life based on circumstance uh met a guy fell in love didn't really plan on that and you know you could sit down at the table with god and sort of have big boy conversations at 36 years old in a different way than you can at 16 years old right so i was able to sort of wrestle with god and saying you know these rules aren't working for me and eventually through my own, you know, kind of crossroads, if you will, of faith came out, surprised to realize, Oh, guess what, you know, I can be gay, and I can love Jesus, and I can align and reconcile those two things. So that was kind of like my personal story that sort of led me to the work that I'm doing.
0: And so when you did come out, and it wasn't just you knowing, hey, I'm gay, but I don't plan on acting upon it. What was the Mm -hmm. response with, say, your church or your family?
1: Yes, yeah, because that's a great question. Because like, okay, now I think that, you know, now that I have this best sense that I know that me and God are thumbs up, but everybody knows the old story of Brian, right? (laughs) Everyone knows the old, uh, uh, I was gonna say ex gay, I didn't really, I didn't really identify that way, who wants to be ex anything, right. Um, But I did identify as, you know, celibate. guess or christian you know just whatever um so everyone knew kind of that previous story you know which to be honest in conservative christian circles is a little more consumable oh he struggles with his sexuality (laughs) but he's not acting on it that's that's you know i was kind of a hero in some ways you know if you think about it in in evangelical circles so when me and god were good and i realized oh i you know i can i can love jesus and be gay and i'm gonna go down this new path and faith i i need to go kind of you know own up to that with previous folks that know my previous story um, the first people i came out to was my parents uh and interestingly my dad was totally fine just shocked me it's a it's a really great story um I'll give you the short version just cause it's a really good story. So I went down to visit my parents of Florida, right. And I was all ready to tell dad and I was going to tell dad first and I'll tell you in a second why I had to tell dad before I told mom. And, uh, so I, I, dad and I, mom would sleep in dad and I would go out to the beach. Uh, have you ever heard of, have you ever heard of Anna Maria Island, Florida?
0: No.
1: It's a little Island just south of Tampa off of Bradenton, like kind of where the islands kind of kick in, mm-hmm. you know, off the coast the first one so we go out to this uh little island breakfast spot where they had like all you can eat pancakes and i hated pancakes but who cares dad loved it so i went you know and dad's and i'm always all ready to tell dad and, and dad's paying the bill you know of course i wait until the final minute i'm like okay dad wait <laughs> and, I, and i told him i told him that i you know i came to a new conclusion with God and with myself, that I'm at peace with being gay. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with that yet. I'm not dating anybody, but like, and, and dad just gave the best fatherly advice. You know, he said something like, you know, you love God. You're a good man. If you can wake up every day and look in the mirror and be good with yourself, who am I? Like, I'm good. Now the problem is mom. <laughs> so, so we sort of knew mom had a lot more church and evangelical you know, baggage. That's, that's not a very nice term, but, but she did, she had a lot of, you know, it was a bigger deal. So it was, it was quite a bit more work to kind of to get there with mom.
0: So then when did you kind of enter the dating pool? Because I do know ah, you are now married.
1: I am married. Yeah. So I must've had a couple of dates along the way to get to that status. Right. <laughs> I, um, yeah, it, well, when I, again, when I came to that point where my faith and my sexuality were good, and I knew God and I were good, and and um, I really didn't consider it an, I don't know, it just took me a while to actually get comfortable with the thought of dating a guy, you know, and I guess that just happened sort of naturally, um, maybe a few years after I made that decision, Yeah, you know, it just took me a while to sort of settle into what it meant to be Brian and be gay and love Jesus and have that all make sense, you know. Didn't, I, I didn't want to enter into a relationship and sort of put that baggage on somebody else. You know, if I was still trying to be really comfortable on my own new shoes, you know, I'm sounding very mature. I really wasn't, maybe I just didn't have any dating prospects. I don't know, <laughs> but eventually, but eventually I did. Yep. And, and, uh, but I, you know, it's funny. I never really, I never really saw myself as getting married, um, to a man certainly. And, I I don't know what that, I guess what that was about was even though I felt like me and God were good with being gay, meaning quit trying to be straight, quit trying to fix my sexuality, that old stuff that I was doing before, you know, quit thinking that you're bad, quit thinking that you have to change something. That's how I feel like I found my peace with God is he just released me from that crap, you know? It wasn't like this release to like go start dating. It was more like quit worrying, quit thinking that you're broken and you're wrong. Like, just relax. Trust me. Like, just live your life, you know? So it just took me a while to get comfortable with dating. But but I never really imagined that I would be comfortable enough in my faith and this newfound thing with God to actually marry a man. Like, that was that was actually quite a surprise to get to that point.
0: And so then when you did bring a man home, uh, to, mm. to mom and dad, did that, yes. were things good by then?
1: A, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, the, I think they had an easier, uh, uh, no. Um, when I met, uh, unfortunately by the time I met, uh, well, the first guy that I met that I brought home is not my husband and I'm glad that deal didn't work out. Um, but it's the best way to answer your, the question. Um, unfortunately at that point in time, my father had passed away. Um, he, he had, uh, ALS Lou Gehrig's just horrible, horrible disease. So if anyone knows that disease in your audience, I, I feel for you. The only mercy of that is that it, he went fast, right? So my dad wasn't around the time, but my mom was, and I remember, um, I remember uh, that this person was significant enough in my life that I felt like, all right, like I can't like pretend to bring him home at Christmas and he's my buddy. Like, I can't, how does one do that, you know? And, uh, and I told my family and my, my two brothers and their, their wives were all good and, and with it and they trusted me and they were kind of protecting me from mom because mom was still kind of, you know, a little hyper-religious on this one and just had a hard time with it. And they're like, you just, I remember one of my sister-in-law saying, just, just pretend he's your friend. And I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I can't, like we might, we might like be together forever. Like I can't pretend he's my friend. So I, so I, um, so I finally told my mom and, and when I did, and when, when there was a person involved, it kind of made the difference. It wasn't like immediate, but when she knew that he was a good dude, and he loved me and he cared for me. And he, and and he, and he, and he, I remember one of the first questions she asked, like, well, is he a Christian? <laughs> like, yes, mom, he's a Christian. I'm like, okay. You know, that checks a box for her, you know? Um, but when a relationship came in the mix and it was a person, I think it helped, it really helped her sort of get over the hump, if you will.
0: Right now is your, is your husband a Christian as well? Does he check that box? Yeah, yes and no.
1: Like, I don't know if he'd call it that. Um, like, he, he loves my faith and my missional work and my love for Jesus and what I do with that the church and all that. And, you know, he'll come to church with me if I want to go. And, 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 and we found a church that he thinks is pretty cool. And, you know, at the end of the day, he, he has the similar beliefs as I. He just doesn't have a church background you know, or religious background or anything. So he has an appreciation for it, but I wouldn't say it's like a a big passion of his, which is in some ways I think is almost good because he doesn't have a bunch of church baggage (laughs) (laughs) from being gay. (laughs) So, so it's, it's a, it's a good situation where he loves and supports me, um, with what I do, but
0: it's a little more of a neutral thing for him. Mm -hmm. Do you want to share about a little bit of this work that you're doing? You mentioned a nonprofit and kind of this advocacy to help connect, you know, and and bring conversations to fruition.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it kind of naturally started right after I came out because at the time, if you remember, I was kind of in the evangelical world and you know conservative, and um, but I'd come out, and so so after I, you know, kind of uh, came out with my parents and. And uh, then I had to start kind of coming out with my friends and my church friends, and a lot of my community was within my church, you know and And it was a pretty similar experience with many of them where they're like, "Well, you know maybe a couple of them said, "You know, you're going to hell." And a couple of them might have said, "Awesome, Let's get you married." But most of them were some are kind of in the middle, right? They're like, "Well, I don't really know how I feel about being gay and loving Jesus, but I know you." And I've seen you and I've seen your life. And so let's figure this out, you know, and, and and that literally was how almost every conversation went with all my closest friends, with my pastors and my church leaders. And that just kind of naturally expanded to other LGBTQ plus friends, other parents of LGBTQ plus kids, other friends of my pastors that were trying to navigate this issue within their church, you know, and you know, cause you know, they were torn because the Bible says this, but I really want to love people. What do I do? You know? And so I just naturally started having sort of those bridge building sort of conversations because I understood both sides. And of course, I mean, I kept me in the closet till I was in my late thirties. Like I understand the tension of long held beliefs, but wanting to be compassionate and love people and how to, you know, so that that just naturally I think those na- those conversations just naturally kept growing and expanding and I just sort of became sort of this trusted person who could sort of play both sides of the fence if you will. <laughs> but but I let people sort of be in a space that didn't have this stuff figured out. You know, which I think is important when it comes to empathy is that, you know, you got to you got to put yourself in the shoes of other people. And so I mean, no, no knock on any of my LGBTQ plus friends that are strong, you know, activists because, because there is, there's, there's hurt. I I do not minimize uh, the hurt and the wounding uh, and the unacceptable shit going on in our society as it relates to LGBTQ plus folks and currently transgender folks, no minimization of that whatsoever, but you got to have patience and give people on ramps to this that want to figure this stuff out, you can't yell at them, you know, like, so I, I think I've always sort of just kind of had that patience and that sort of evolved into this, uh, making things right project.
0: And so do you find when having these conversations that people are open to discussion and willing to kind of maybe look at Scripture in a different way? Or do they kind of get stuck and pigeonholed into well, this is what the Bible says, therefore, this can't be right, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think a lot more of the former than the latter. I mean, there's, um, there's a couple ways to answer your question. One is when it comes to sort of theology and Bible. Um, it, it, it's tricky, right? Like it, it is tricky. And and so if that's your starting point, it can be real tricky. Um, what I invite people to which I think is why um, the, the prod, this, our organization has had some really nice favor in a really short period of time, is that I invite people to say, okay, I don't need you to change your theology on these six verses or Adam and Eve versus Adam and Steve or any of that stuff. I, I think it's really okay that we agree to disagree on that. And let's actually pivot and elevate the conversation, right? Because if you think about LGBTQ and religion matters, it's always this sort of div- or not always, but it's typically always this divisive debate, right? And and, and and you're either right or wrong, or you're on one side or the other, and there's not a whole lot of room for nuance and gray. And everyone's trying to interpret the Bible or moral ethics or sexual ethics, in your own. and you're, and it's this it's this debate that's never going to get solved. Sorry, you know, if you're a, an apologist, it, it, you're never going to win. Um. So and if so, I invite people to just sort of agree to disagree on that and come over here. And look at a group of people that historically, statistically, have had really negative experiences within the church, uh, whether you know directly or indirectly or on purpose or not. Doesn't individually, institutionally, doesn't matter. It's statistically proven, uh, and there's amazing research and studies for this. That, and you don't have to go very far to validate this with your LGBTQ plus friends and family. If you grew up in the church, which 86% of LGBTQ plus persons did, you probably had a pretty negative experience, right? To some degree. And that is the thing that causes many of us in our community to just be done with God. And that's just the saddest thing in the world to me. Like, you don't have to go back to church. You don't even have to want God, but you shouldn't have to not be able to because of a negative experience that's unresolved. So I invite church folks to just examine that, look at the data, look at the stories, look at it plainly, and then just say, okay, what matters more? It's sort of a rhetorical question. Winning a debate about theology or reaching out and loving and being a part of healing and reconciliation for a people group that's felt hurt and wounded by the church. And let them come to their own conclusions about theology, about their sexuality. That's not our job. And, and when I kind of present it that way I, I think a lot more people could get on board because it's not forcing them to figure out six verses if that makes sense
0: it does now do you find that churches are becoming more welcoming and that as younger LGBTq plus folks you know might grow up in the church that there is more acceptance for them
1: yeah and the younger generation really is forcing the issue thank goodness right so um, And and I do, I do. I interestingly, the headlines might not tell you that. The headlines might make you think that just Christian churches are going backwards. It's not the true narrative. I mean, it's a true narrative in the fringes, but think about it. The headlines are sensational. (laughs) The headlines are meant to represent things that get people excited. Um, that is not that represents the minority. Um, From my observations, from my work, and from a lot of folks that do work in this ecosystem of conservative to moderate churches looking at matters of sexuality and gender and and inclusion and welcoming and how are we going to tackle this thing in our church, the vast majority of churches that I work with, they're not arrived, whatever arrived is, but they're not digging their heels in on six verses anymore they realize that they're like, you know what? I need to rethink this. I need to care for people, love people, serve people. That's got to be our first step if we're going to be like Jesus and Christian means like Christ, <laughs> you know, if we're going to practice what we preach, um and 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 it, it, you know, we have to lean into this in a new way. And so the vast majority of conservative churches that I talk to are leaning into this conversation and and a lot of them don't necessarily change their theology per se they just change their priorities you know what matters more
0: and so then do you have a background in theology or does most of oh god no
1: <laughs> i don't it's probably just as well <laughs> I mean, I, I surround myself. I try to be a general contractor in my work. Um, so, I, I what I need to pull in like trusted theologians. I do so. Um, no, no background in theology or the Bible, or <laughs> I mean, I've read it a few times. I'm a good Christian, but like, I, I sure couldn't like wax eloquent on theological matters.
0: <laughs> right. So kind of your work in this came from your specific like personal experience growing up in a church being gay <sighs> mm-hmm. rather than a place from I am gay and I have also like studied theology and Correct. all of that.
1: No, that's a, a astute observation and a good clarifier. There there are people in this space that that do good work around this and really examining theology and and that does matter, right? Like people, I mean, I invite people to make things right, you know, to, 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 to pay attention to a hurt people group and make that right and make that the priority. And a lot of people resonate with that, but a lot of people are really hung up on the theology piece and unless they can kind of go to a safe space and figure that out for themselves, um, they can't really they're, they're never really free to like do what I'm inviting them to do. You know what I mean? So there, there are, there are good, you know, I think, uh, I think Matthew Vines is doing really good work. The reformation project. Um, I think David Gushy is kind of, a. uh, he wrote a book called changing our minds back in 2014. Uh, he appeals a little more to conservatives. I would say, uh, Matthew Vines is excellent. I'm just saying like, he's, uh, a little more coming from a progressive-minded space, where Gushy and changing our minds. He was an old, you know, Southern Baptist uh, uh, Christian ethicist. He was, you know, arguably the leading Christian ethicist, um, you know, in, in all of like major denominations for many, many, many years. And then he went through his own examination process and came out the other side saying, "I think we got this wrong." he lost his whole Christian audience. <laughs> but he started over and really started building a lot of credibility, especially with conservatives, because he understands that you really have to walk through this thing carefully to come to a place of, of thinking that the Bible affirms same-sex relationships and you know alternate expressions of gender and stuff like that. So he really is very careful and methodical and can speak to sort of the conservative path to reexamine that stuff where you don't feel like you're losing your faith.
0: Yeah. Now with making things right. um, Are you like having these conversations with people and facilitating them? Or what specifically are you doing with that project and organization?
1: Yeah, no, good question. Um, So we launched it in um, uh, kind of early of last year, so 2022. Um, and we, uh, I would say, um, and when I say launch the project, um, really what we did is I, I wrote, um, I wrote a white paper. I'd say what the heck is a white paper. Um, it basically meant I didn't have time to write a book. Um, so, so my marketing team says, well, you can't just blog stuff. Like you actually got to sit down for a couple of months and get a thesis of you know, if we're going to build a, a project in an organization, you have to have a thesis, right? So I spent a couple of months, and I, and I wrote this white paper called "Making Things Right," and it's basically an invitation, like I said, to sort of re-examine—not necessarily your theology, but what are your priorities when it comes to LGBTQ plus people. And and then out of that, we sort of built different, you know, resources. We built a podcast uh, mini series, which are seven episodes, where we kind of unpack. Different concepts in the white paper. We mostly feature stories of people, you know, because I like your podcast. It's like we can be all theological and smart about issues, but really what changes hearts is hearing people's stories, you know, getting proximity to people that aren't like you and letting your heart get a little bit bigger through empathy. Um, So a lot of story work, a little bit of theology work. Uh, and then we just kind of threw that out to the universe to see what would resonate and what would what would um, uh, what would um, get traction, I guess. And and where it really has happened is with church leaders and pastors. Um, and I'm not the first person to be doing this type of work. I just bring my own story and my own, you know, perspective and uh and so now a lot of my work and a lot of the interest is really with church leaders and pastors that want a safe place to figure this stuff out you know a little more i kind of target if you will the more conservative side of the spectrum you know because they made the progressives probably have this one figured out you know uh and but you know folks that where they need to go back and kind of challenge some long-held beliefs is is no easy task and, and so i i facilitate you know, I, I do like small group coaching, you know, where I, I have like, you know, zoom calls with 20 or 25 church leaders or allies that want to help move the needle on this subject. I do a little speaking at churches, um, conferences, uh, stuff like that.
0: Now, before we started recording, you did mention a different job. So is this kind of on top of a full time different career for you?
1: Yes, this is just a passion project for me. So I have to, (laughs) it's kind of, it's funny, because like a lot of things have been um, um, like, there's a lot of interest in what I do, which is I don't think it's because I'm so great. It's because this is an important topic, you know, and people need a safe place uh, in sort of the conservative Christian world to figure this stuff out, you know, and they want to, like, that's the trend is they really want to figure this stuff out. They want to be yelled at, but they want to figure it out. They want to do better. They want to love people. And, and, uh, so I get lots of, thankfully lots of inquiries. And, um, so I just, you know, it's just something where I start to pick and choose what I do, you know, cause I want, I want to, I want to be good to my job. Um, I'm a, I am want to be good to my husband, <laughs> my two girls. Like, I don't want to, you know, so I try to log, you know, a certain amount of time every week um, with making things right. And it's usually half, half, I try to spend half my time writing and half my time engaging with people, you know, because I don't want to just write for the sake of writing. And I love writing. I love creating content. And my goal is to... Um, you know, start a book proposal process towards the end of the year and just kind of take all my findings um, and put it into a book. Um, but, uh, but, I, but I also like to engage people, you know, and so getting out on podcasts like this or having Zoom calls with pastors or advocates that want to help move the needle, speaking at churches, you know, getting and helping people flesh out this conversation.
0: Now, is this book that you're hoping to propose and work through, do you think that'll be kind of an expansion on the original white paper?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, Or or for sure it will. Um, Just, But it's just lots more experiences, you know, like, and I I think when I went into writing that white paper, I felt like I I had a, a reasonable amount of experiences with different people groups, such as LGBTQ plus folks such as family and friends of LGBTQ plus folks, such as pastors and church leaders caring about the subject. Um, And so I took the best of my experiences to inform that thesis, if you will. Um, But since we've launched this project now, I've like, you know, 10 times as many experiences I had when I wrote that thing, you know, so so probably an expansion of that. And I, I think the thing that I've been learning the most about is uh churches you know and really i'm just amazed at how many uh pastors and church leaders just sort of entrust me to um you know because a lot of them are at risk to you know especially in the more conservative denominations for them to really try to move the needle on this one even if they feel like in their heart that they know that they need to and their church needs to um it's a lot of conflict with their denomination uh, a lot of risk of splitting their church and their staff and their leaders, and and it's you know it's it's no small task to kind of stand up for this subject in conservative church environments. So um, to be able to co- sort of confidentially coach and counsel some of those pastors is is very um, is very satisfying.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it's very rewarding because these people are going through, you know, wanting to have difficult conversations and, and, you know, changing, you know, kind of what, you know, history has, has done. Yes. Now, going back, you mentioned earlier about how you didn't necessarily envision yourself marrying a man. Now, you, <laughs> right. now you've got a husband and two girls. So, <laughs> how, how did that all come about? Did he propose? You know, is what kind of is the story there?
1: Yeah, yeah, good. Um, yeah, I, um, I, um, he came out of a fifteen-year a marriage with a woman. Um, so I was his first dude. Uh, which is pretty cool. And uh so so I knew that like it, and I had no question like it, it was just the the coolest meeting, right? Like we we just met through friends and we just immediately knew and we've been hanging out ever since. Like I'm not saying it's that easy. I'm just saying like um it it it's just was a very natural fit, you know, in, in a lot of ways. And uh but I so I always I've always known that He was very loyal and, you know, check the boxes of what I needed to feel safe and, you know, in a relationship and all of that. And so I really never, I really was never going to push the envelope on marriage because he was married for 15 years in a whole different context, you know, and I never was. And so I just felt like that wasn't my place. I mean, maybe seven (laughs) years down the road, I might have been like, honey, come on, you know. But for sure, in the first couple of years, you know, like, so, so I just really just waited and, and I, and I felt very secure in the relationship. So it was good, you know, and, uh, New Year's Eve, um, of 2021, no, 2020, almost 21, he proposed and shocked me. Um, both the girls were in on it. You know, it was like a total plan and, you know, the oldest daughter was videotaping the whole thing. And I, you know, and I, I look back and it's like, how I didn't know I'm such an idiot. You know, so I got the perfect, like stupid sprinkle dust on me, you know, that, that I, that, cause I had no idea what was going on until he actually popped the question. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just such a wonderful surprise. And we got married 10 months later. And I remember... Uh, we we wrote our own vows, um, and uh, his vows were just freaking amazing. Um, and when I did my vows, 80% of my vows were about him and me. But the first just kind of 20, 30 seconds was basically me just standing there, and I just said, you know, I've spent, I can't remember it word for word, but something like I spent most of my life thinking that, Um, that something like this would not be possible. And here, you know, because of my convictions and all of that, not that I wasn't worthy of love. But here I stand today before all these people and God with full confidence to commit my life to you. And I think I'll remember that like day for the rest of my life because it was such a huge thing for my faith journey. Because I spent so much of my life thinking that there was no way that God would be okay with that. And it truly was the first time in my life that I had a hundred percent confidence that God was there saying, this is good. It was pretty cool,
0: yeah, really. No, did you ever think, you know, kind of when first coming to the realization, like men over women and then not gonna <laughs> marry a guy, like now you have two girls. So were you ever envisioning you would be a parent?
1: No, (laughs) no, that was just falling in love with what came along with Dan pretty much. So it didn't really scare me. I mean, they were, they were, you know, at the time, 10 and 12, I think. So, you know, they weren't puppies, you know, they were sort of grown up. (laughs) Um, I was, so I wasn't intimidated by changing diapers or any of that. Um, Yeah, it was a wonderful surprise where, I went from calling them Dan's kids to my stepkids to now I just call them my girls. And it, 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 I was not expecting it in my life, but now it's just been just this rich thing that I never expected. And I'm kind of good at being a parent. I, I kind of overdid it at first. Dan told, you know, I would do a few things and he's like, Brian, you don't need to do that. Like I got this. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So I, I, I don't know. I just thought I was supposed to co-parent and like be a hard ass or something. he's like, Nope, that's not your job. (laughs) So as soon as I realized that all I had to do was like hang out with them and love them and engage them and think they're awesome and back Dan up as needed, like it became the easiest job in the world.
0: Great. Mm. Now what in general, you know, whether it's family life, whether it's church, kind of your work, what are you hoping for the future
1: yeah um i would say specifically with making things right um it's just such a culmination of of um you know we all want our stories to mean something right and so i'm no different and to be in a season where i can take my story and my experiences to inform my purpose and to inform and help and serve and equip others, you know, first in their personal situations, and then also for their purpose, you know, specifically with church leaders and trying to move the needle on the subject towards compassion. Um, I, I, I genuinely, I really feel like the river is going in the right direction here. It's not what the headlines say. And if you look under the belly of evangelical America, there are so many churches and pastors that, are, that know in their hearts that there's a, there's a better way when it comes to LGBTQ plus people. And it's only a matter of time. I mean, thank you, like I said before, thank God for the younger generation forcing the issue, but it's only a matter of time. you know. And so to be a part of helping that river flow in the right direction. um, That's probably what I'll spend, you know, kind of the legacy of my life doing, I think by the time I pass, this will probably be a non event. But there's a lot of work to do in between then and now.
0: Yeah, truly. And I think it's great for, you know, for you being someone who's kind of entrenched in the in the culture and in the situations to be able to say, like, you know, the river is flowing in the right directions, you know, Headlines are headlines, you know, you've kind of got to take it with mm-hmm. a grain of salt. Um, I think that's important mm-hmm. for people to hear. Now, what would you say, like, kind of your purpose is? Because you talked a little bit in there about purpose.
1: Yeah. Oof. Purpose. Um, I, I think it's a little bit about just what I said to just let my story and my skills serve others. You know, it, it, I guess it is kind of that simple. I mean, I do have sort of a mission statement, if you will, of making things right. That is to help reform the Christian response and responsibility to LGBTQ plus people. Um, But I think the purpose uh, at the end of the day, my purpose is just to really to the degree that I can use my story and my skills and my passion and my breath to help people just examine and love people better in a way that they feel good about it in their belief system. You know, like, that's what I want. I don't want. I don't want conservatives to feel like they're abandoning their faith <laughs> to like actually love people. I mean, it, I know it sounds kind of silly, but I'm just saying like for to a conservative like that's that's a tricky subject. And I want to help people like just sort of get to a point where they realize that it is the right thing to do. It's not watering down truth it's performing it to to uh to do kind of what our hearts already tell us is right anyways it's just our heads kind of get in the way
0: <laughs> right then before I start to wrap things up is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners today
1: oh goodness um well you asked me great questions so I can't um uh m- maybe just to sort of... Um, you know, just remember, like, if you don't know the statistics, you know, 86% of LGBTQ plus people were raised in the church, uh, and and I'll source this in a minute, just so you know that I'm not making this crap up. Um, out of those folks that were raised in the church, 54% over half left, um, at the age of 18. Why? Why? Number one reason far and away, negative personal experiences. And a backup to that is that when they were asked um, if they were open to returning to their faith roots, 71% said yes. That's compared to 9% of the general U.S. population. So that tells me there's there's unfinished business, unresolved hurts, that we get to decide that we can be a part of fixing and it's the simplest thing in the world. It can be just like looking around you. Now, some of your listeners are like, you're preaching at the choir, Brian. I get it, you know, but but, but for those that maybe I'm not preaching to the choir, just like look around you and look, look to the LGBTQ plus people in your life and take them out for coffee and be brave and ask them about their story. Because in the simplest ways, we can all play a part. We all, to some degree, whether we realize it or not, played a part in the hurts. But we can all play a part in the healing.
0: Right. Now, where do those statistics come from? You did say you would cite your sources. Yes, I, I should
1: source it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a good question, too, because I'm actually working on a new research study that I can uh, mention quickly. But uh, it, it's tough to find good, trusted research around this stuff that doesn't have sort of predictable questions and answers, if you will. Um, The most current uh, and the foundation of a lot of my work is the Marin Foundation Study, 2016, published in a book called Us Versus Us, written, fascinating story, the author who just, you know, uh, evangelical, conservative Christian who was straight and lived in the gay neighborhood of Chicago for many, many years, just to allow his heart to break and to see the true story and the true need. And underwent some multi-year, you know, research project, over seventeen hundred inputs, and basically kind of illuminated the, the the untold story of the religious history and practices of the LGBTQ plus community.
0: Yeah, that's and I mean, it's it's good to have that sort of research and kind of be able to say, like, you know, here's where people were, here's where people are, and here's where they want to be. Hmm.
1: And so what I'm working on, um, which is a, a way bigger than my pay grade, but I can't get away from it, is as I have, you know, I've had dozens of interviews, um, countless <laughs> interviews with pastors and church leaders, uh, you know, from conservative churches, finding out where they're at on the subject, what are their hurdles, what are their concerns, what's their appetite to advance the LGBTQ plus conversation towards compassion, uh, all of that. Um I'm, I'm working with some, you know, some wonderful thought leaders, uh, in sort of the Christian world to, um, to, uh, to eventually work with, uh, we haven't selected the research house yet, but eventually, uh, a reputable research house to conduct a significant research study to get, you know, whereas Marin grabbed the LGBTQ plus vantage, we're going to capture the Christian Church and Pastor Leader Vantage, and not we're not going to ask questions about how do you think about those six verses. There's lots of research on that. How do you think about gay marriage? We're not going to talk about theology. We're going to talk about inclusion, and we're going to talk about from a conservative vantage. You know, what is your appetite to advance the conversation? What is your proximity to LGBTQ plus people within your church, uh, and and get some real data about what is the real sentiment. Church leaders and pastors today on this subject to kind of, kind of complement the stories.
0: Yeah, that's great, and I I think is will be important research to uh, be able to study. Mm-hmm. Now, at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question that doesn't have to do with what we've been talking about. I love. So, it. my question for you today is: What is the best job perk you've ever had?
1: I think it's 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 it goes back to what we we're talking about i'm sorry but it's my current job um i i have this great job uh being an executive coach in corporate america uh and they know my passion for the subject and so they give me full freedom to arrange my schedule however i like to make sure because they they know well first of all they know they're know am going to work my butt off in the after hours anyways but they literally give me an 100% flexible schedule so that I can pursue this missional work at the same time. That's a pretty good perk.
0: All right, that brings this episode to a close. If you would like to check out the website for Making Things Right, that will be in the description. So that brings you, you know, to the podcast and all the other good information and something there as well. If um, you are an LGBTQ plus Christian? Is Renovus? Um, that is a safe space, a community for LGBTQ plus Christians to help rediscover Jesus. If you are looking for that sort of community, um, there's a link there through Making Things Right that you can check out. That which um, also spawned a nonprofit. And of course, if you would like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description. That brings you to all of our past episodes, past resources, past guest social media, and all of those good things, along with. Our social media, we are on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, so feel free to go and follow those pages. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, my email is in the description. That is the best way to reach me directly. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that as well. So thank you so much, Brian, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time, bye.
1: See you later.